Hi there, Neil here. Obviously, you love to travel. That's why you're listening to this podcast. Circa, our app available right now from the App Store on iOS, is filled with podcasts and guides for travelers. But more than that, it has a feature that we're calling the Circa Concierge, where you can have any question about any place you're traveling answered by real people on the ground. We're giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. And hey, if you've got questions about Barcelona, you might even get me. Because I love to help people discover my city. And if you're the same way for the city where you live, then we want you to become part of the Circa Concierge too. Right now, we're searching for concierges in Barcelona, Rome, London, Paris, Madrid, Venice, and New York City. Don't see your city listed? That's okay. We'll be rolling out new cities throughout the year, and yours might just be next. If you love where you live and love to help travelers, sign up now to be a Circa Concierge. Help out our users and earn tips for the knowledge you have about your own city or country. Head over to circatravel.com forward slash concierge and sign up today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode introduces a new producer, which is very exciting. Well, as in me. That's you. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we hired Jennifer Carr, so who has classed up the joint. Oh, Absolutely. Thanks, yeah. well. I'm not sure about that, but I'll take the compliment. <laughs> a destination isn't always a place. Sometimes it's a new way of seeing things. I'm Neil Innes. And I'm Andres Bartos. From Frequency Machine, this is Passport. Your ticket to everywhere. If Italy wins the prize for the most beautiful country, Sicily, the island next to Italy's southern heel and separated from the mainland by the Strait of Messina, wins bonus points for its lush citrus groves, generous handful of UNESCO archaeological sites, and the dazzling Zingaro Natural Reserve a raw coastal wilderness that attracts flamingos and fin whales. Home to brooding Mount Etna, Europe's largest active volcano that billows fumes 11,000 feet, Sicily is a mishmash of Arabs, Greeks, Syrians, Turks, and of course, the Sicilians themselves. It's a melting pot with soils weary from conflict and revolution. Speaking of soil, Etna's also responsible for a thriving volcanic vineyard scene. It's not just the wines that put Sicily in the spotlight. The island's cuisine is as varied and notorious as its history. Pasta alla norma, caponata, pasta con el sarde, arancine, cannoli, pane con la milza, granita. A swirl of flavors that sing of Sicily's past. 
Think the spices and exotic flavors of the Arabs, the flamboyance of the Spanish, the refinement of the French. Those influences only exist because invasions, wars, pirates, and marauders have barreled through Sicily. These delicious flavors were hard fought for. Sicily and its capital, Palermo, have really been through it. Two millennia of it, to be precise. Despite all that, the most dramatic conflict Sicily ever faced might be one born right there on the island. La Cosa Nostra. That's the mafia to you and me. The mafia's impact on Sicily has been huge. Since its inception in the mid-19th century, it's been a defining presence on the island. Industries have been at its whim as of culture, education, politics, and community for nearly 200 years. But something is changing. Despite all of the efforts to combat the mafia over the years, the battle being fought now may be the most unexpected one of all. In this episode of Passport, producer Jennifer Carr heads to the Sicilian capital of Palermo, ground zero for La Cosa Nostra, to find out how a group of renegade foodie Sicilians are thwarting the mafia. Palermo's just like this bombed out, grungy, baroque mishmash. I can't really describe it. It's almost like Havana meets Lisbon. Nice. You know, it's like a really nice combo. And then you've just got the friendliest people ever. Amazing cheap food, you know, nature reserves and a massive volcano with people growing wine on it. You know, like what's not to love? That sounds pretty magical. <laughs> Why the mob? What's the mob fascination? Good question. I think I think my dad was just obsessed with it when I was growing up, you know, funnily enough. You know, I didn't really have like, you know, Blyton and Roald Dahl. We had Mario Puzzo and like horses' heads and beds from a very young age. That horse's head was real, by the way. Was it? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, they got it from a pet shop. Wait, he found a horse's head? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, how much for the head? Yeah, literally. <laughs> Oh, that old thing. But th- yeah, that's the thing. So all of us, I think we, our connection to the mob thing is movies. Yeah, there's definitely like a romanticized ideal, I think, or yeah. a, a, a mythologized idea of what the mafia are versus what they really are. The honor, the omerta, the, the, all these kind of codes of conduct. And there's a completely different version of events when you start talking to people, you know? Yeah. You didn't, I didn't realize how much it kind of infiltrates every different aspect of society. Sure. You know, the politics to, to you know, the local kind of infrastructures, to schools, to, you know, the education piece is massive in, mm. in Sicily around basically how people are influenced to believe that the only way they're ever going to make a living is if they go into a syndicate, if they go into organised crime. Like, forget education. It's like, if you want to earn money, go into the mob, wow. you know? So... Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big fight. It's a big fight, and it's happening on lots of different levels. It's built into the DNA. Exactly. It's a hell of a touchdown at Sicily's Punteresi airport, outside the capital city of Palermo. There's not much landing strip for starters. The runway's wedged between the cobalt Mediterranean sea that rushes up fiercely into view from your window seat. Monte Pecoraro mountain looms closely on the other. Close to landing, a blanket of citrus groves are visible for miles. The evergreen lemons and mandarins grown here, earning it the nickname Concha de Oro, or Golden Conch, 
Byzantine church domes and Baroque architecture peek out above the city skyline. It's a bit of a distraction for nervous flyers. Just about. Renowned anti-mafia magistrate Giovanni Falcone and his wife touched down here one dusky May Saturday afternoon back in 1992. They lived in Rome, but liked to return to Palermo, their old home, on the weekends, even if it was risky, even if it meant bringing seven bodyguards. As Falcone drove his white Fiat Chroma away from the airport heading east on the main coastal highway, the road split open. The explosion was deafening enough to grind the whole highway to a halt. Onlookers thought the crater that ripped through Highway A29 was an earthquake. So did the local earthquake monitors. Cars piled high in rubble and ash. Road signs caked in grit and dried blood. But the blast had nothing to do with tectonics. It was man-made. 400 kgs of explosives. It was a message from the Mafia. Hell opened up in front of us, writes Peter Robb in his memoir, Midnight in Sicily. The motorway blew up when his car was passing you know, on, the, on that section of the motorway. Eduardo Zafuto is an anti-mafia activist, an ethical tourism guide based in Palermo. He remembers the rest of that day all too clearly. And that terrible event... Uh, uh, somehow changed the, the history because as the mafia went really too far, finally the population started to, you know, to say enough. The bomb that killed Giovanni and his wife was a response to the largest mafia trial in Italy's history, the Maxi Trials. Giovanni Falcone, the guy driving the Fiat, was chief prosecutor. The case had played out across six nail-biting years between 1986 and 1992. It took place in a purpose-built bunker that doubled as a courthouse inside the walls of Palermo's notorious Uccedoni prison. Two key pentitos, as informants, Tommaso Buscetta and Salvatore Contorno, testified openly against the mob. They'd once been heads of the family, and now their testimonies were bringing that same family down. 475 mobsters were tried, 338 found guilty, 19 got life. It wasn't the first hit on a high-profile political figure, but because of Giovanni Falcone's almost heroic status as a judge that had consistently pledged publicly to fight the mafia no matter what, the Sicilian people saw him as a kind of saviour. It was this murder that made the difference. Overnight, the Mafia went from being feared to reviled. Sicily had had enough. I mean, just landing was amazing. Playing that against this very violent moment already feels like a mob movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's not an island that does anything by halves, that's for sure. Yeah. We're seeing it more from the point of view of the people living there. Because usually you fall into a story like that and you're going to be with the mob more, more likely than with how the country sees the, the, the act, yeah. right? The bombing. 
Yeah, because also, you know, the media, the media are paid off by the mob to present a certain picture of the mob, even when this kind of stuff happens, you know. Man, so they're deep in there. I mean, it's really smart, right? Because the whole thing about the mob is that narrative, the story you have in your head. Yeah. And all of the power comes from that. Yeah. And then here in this bombing, they kind of miscalculated Instead of people getting scared, people got angry. Because of the saviour that was this guy, this one guy that said, you know, I'm going to take down the mafia even if it means I die, you know. The head mayor was being paid off and, you know, he was he was in he was in the, the lion's den, you know. Is it going to get foodie soon? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I do wonder how the there's, food's going to There's some snacks. <laughs> I'm getting peckish. <laughs> Sicily's relationship with the Mafia goes back over two centuries, back to the early 19th century and the time of the Gabalotti. In Sicily, a Gabalotto was a person who rented farmland for short-term use. They were rural entrepreneurs who leased the lands from aristocrats more attracted to the comforts of the city. Many Gabalotti were associated with, if not members of, the Mafia. Like any good parasite, these guys knew how to adapt digging deeper into the tissues of Sicilian culture and commerce. From the simple fruit seller to the chief of police, La Cosa Nostra bribed, bought and murdered with impunity for the next 200 years. But Sicilians are resilient. And after all, throughout history, no city in the Med has been invaded more than Palermo. Its capacity to keep boomeranging back is a hallmark of a people determined to revolt against oppression. At the forefront of this battle is something Sicilians pride themselves on, maybe more than anything else. Food. Let me take you down the streets of what used to be one of Palermo's most mafia-controlled neighbourhoods. La Calza, the Arab Quarter. La Calza also holds a reputation for one of the city's most vibrant food scenes. It's a city within a city, home to the gloriously grungy Vuciaria food market a mishmash of Baroque churches bombed out since World War II, grand palazzos, Byzantine arches, and the odd 12th-century Arab Norman Tower. Signs in Hebrew and Arabic hint of the district's distinct past, a place with narrow, winding back streets. Some form 11th-century Arabic street patterns, which only adds to the feeling of being kind of in a market somewhere between Marrakesh and Damascus. Let's be clear here. Sicilian food isn't Italian food. It's Sicilian food. And there's a difference. A culmination of influences from the Med, from North Africa, from Arabia. Olives that were first introduced by the Greeks. And in the 10th century, the dominating Arabs brought saffron, cloves, pistachios, cinnamon and nutmeg. Some of these found their way into Sicilian cannoli, a cigar-shaped tube of pastry filled with local ricotta, studded with bitter orange and flecked with pistachios. It's said to originate from the kitchens of Sultan's castles. And it also shuts down entire conversations into a happy dribbling mess. Then there's panelli. Chickpea flour, water, whatever herbs you've got to hand. It's stirred into a bit of a sludge and then deep-fried in rectangles that are showered in sea salt. Speaking from my own experience, it's a hangover snack from the gods and one that dates back to Sicily's 9th century Arabic roots. Arancini also, 
crispy balls of leftover risotto filled with meat and cheese then fried into the ultimate carby road snack. This one's 100% Sicilian. And the best place for them? Mm, it's got to be Antica Focacceria de San Francisco on Via Alessandro Paternostro. This restaurant is run by brothers Vincenzo and Fabio and has been in the family for five generations. One of their specialties is a spleen and lung sandwich, panica mesa. It's one street food you don't want to miss. We're going to come back to the brothers in a minute because as a popular restaurant in Palermo, they've definitely had their fair share of conflict with the mafia. And besides their much sought after street food, they've also got a story worth telling. But wait, back to the mob. Food and mafiosi are nothing new. I mean, did you ever see a skinny mobster? Who can forget Paul Savino's character in Goodfellas slicing garlic cloves razor thin in preparation for a big prison feast? Apparently, Al Capone's favourite meal was spaghetti with walnut sauce. And Carlos Mercena, the Dom responsible for ordering the hit on JFK, if that's what you believe, was a huge fan of meatballs. But the Mafia's connection to food goes deeper than eating it. It's woven into the fabric of Sicilian life. It's stitched itself all through the island's culinary and agricultural systems. And it's been a method for social control since the beginning. It's estimated that 15% of agriculture in Italy is linked to organised crime. Billions of euros every year are made from agricultural extortion or agro-mafia. Farmers are often vulnerable, and mafia have long been a parasitic influence in southern Italy's food system. Cutting olive oils with cheaper ingredients, forbidden pesticides, replacing ancient Sicilian grains with monoculture. While it's not often discussed, food has been the ultimate source of power for Cosa Nostra. This is where pizza comes in. Pizza is protection money, paid to the Mafia in the form of a forced threat. Whether you're a pizza maker or a corporate CEO, in the past, no one has been immune. And you've seen this in every Mafia movie ever made. The term is derived from Sicilian pizzu, which means beak, to let someone wet their beak. In Sicilian, fare vagnare o pizzo is to pay protection money. Pizza began as a kind of agreement between the guys that I mentioned earlier, the Gabalotti, seen by many historians as the original Mafia clans. This was back in the time of feudalism. They leased lands from Sicilian aristocrats and asked that the peasants who worked the lands pay for taxes, with a cut for the Gabalotti, of course. Today, it shows up as mobsters entering the premises of any and all kinds of businesses to demand the money that allows business owners to live without intimidation, death threats, arson. But back in the 80s and 90s, resisting pizza got people killed. And it's one of the oldest mafia tricks in the book. Then again, there have always been brave Sicilians willing to go against the grain. The number one strategy of the mafia is to isolate uh, their targets. We're talking to Eduardo Vazuto, an anti-mafia activist in Palermo, who's got his own story to tell about pizza. Payment of uh, pizza like something that was uh, connected uh, with, let's say, organization of the economy in Sicily. 
not even asking themselves uh, whether it was uh, something uh, acceptable or not, because uh, anyway, there was no way out. Eduardo is one of the three founders of Adia Pizza, a grassroots movement that kicked off in Palermo in 2004. Uh, as long as they see that they are well supported by the community, by the institution, they would uh, rarely attack them because they know that uh, backlash of an action against a person that was well supported by the community would be very big. Would uh, experience a, a boomerang effect uh, like they did uh, when they killed Falcone and Borsellino, for example. Eduardo is making a powerful point. There's one thing that's stronger than the mafia. It's a community that unites together. Today, Adio Pizzo's making waves across the island. They run an ethical tourism company too that offers culinary experiences in Palermo and amazing wine tasting on confiscated farmlands once stolen by the mafia clans. Nobody wanted to speak about uh, the problem and uh, all of them preferred to pay money uh, without even like uh, questioning. And so eventually... In 2004, something broke the silence. Nope, not that. Stickers. They broke their silence against mafia intimidation with stickers. Plastered across shop windows and doorways in the dead of night, an anonymous group, their heads and faces covered for protection. Eduardo was one of them. The stickers carried the slogan, a whole people who pays pizza is a people without dignity. So the story of uh, the sticker is very interesting because uh, those words actually uh, was the beginning of uh, a new experience. So we wouldn't pay. A new experience. Refusing to pay anti-harassment money as a business expense. Who knew? That's just brilliant. Stickers. It's so satisfying. Stickers it's, in the dead of night. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's so wonderful. How far away from mafia tactics can you go than yeah. stickers? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty passive and unoffensive. <laughs> Absolutely. But very powerful. It goes right into the middle of disrespect. Don't disrespect yourself, you Don't know? Dis- yeah, exactly. Everybody's hiding it. That's yeah. how this thing works. Yeah, exactly. Because nobody knows who's paying, so yeah. you the fear is built yeah. into it. Yeah. But the minute it's out, yeah. you're the you're the idiot if you're paying for this. <laughs> Absolutely. No, totally. Like the omerta isn't just something that's restricted to mafia. It's, it's about everybody yeah. keeping silent because they don't want to be seen to be kowtowing to the yeah. mafia. I am I am Spartacus. It's, yeah. It's well, that like. Th- that's why it's so satisfying. It's like no strength, no brute strength. Yeah. An appeal to people's self-respect. You know, that's how you get people on side. Yeah. Adio Pizza is a bit like saying, you know, sticking two fingers up to the pizza money, saying goodbye, ciao, adio, adios. And um, yeah, really kind of appealing to that community of people that have just really had enough and are ready for something new. Well, and that's how you reclaim your your town or your city or your block or your neighborhood, right? Yeah. When you start thinking of yourself as part of this bigger thing. Exactly. That simple act of splashing stickers across the city lit a torch in the psyche of the Palamitanos, sick and tired of living in fear and living against their own will. 
and it was all thanks to Eduardo's friends. These people actually started to, to talk about this problem and this situation and also like starting to consider how, how weird, how strange, how crazy and absurd is that uh, you have to think about uh, the mafia problem and the pizza uh, system even before starting your activity. That same day, the slogan that came to define Eduardo's grassroots movement was invented. In a matter of weeks, the community had surprisingly rallied and collected over 3,000 signatures from shopkeepers, restaurateurs and other small businesses and confirmed their solidarity for the cause. The slogan spoke to a city ready for change. Hi, everyone. Circa's recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Greeks, French, Spanish, Arabic, Normans, Jews, a diverse fusion. How do all these cultures permeate the character of Sicilians today? Well, Sicilians are isolani. In any language, the rather generic word islanders connotes all sorts of things, and the real Sicilians elude any simple definition. The language, however, does contain traces of all these ancient tongues, and many Italians on the mainland don't even understand it. There is an obscure urban social art called Sicilianismo, though. It involves men affecting a certain type of heavy, guttural accent when speaking Sicilian, using arcane gestures, wearing loads of gold, and generally attempting to impress others of their self-perceived sexist importance. These guys are called the Caffoni. But the characteristics of culture also show up, of course, in the amazing food that you'll find across the island. Echoes from North Africa, Europe and Arabia all rivaling for attention from your taste buds. Take caponata, a spin on the Spanish caponada, or relish. It's a much richer ratatouille that features aubergines, tomatoes, pine nuts, capers, pretty green olives. Well, what about couscous? It's super typical to find it on the island, especially the west coast in Trapani and San Vito lo Capo. They love this dish so much there's even a couscous fest, a food festival every autumn that celebrates the mix of two cultures, African and Sicilian. Instead of lamb and Maghreb spices like you'd find in North Africa, here the couscous is made with fish, freshly caught from local waters. Now let's go back to Antica Focaccheria, San Francisco. Brothers Vincenzo and Fabio, as fifth-generation Sicilian restaurateurs, they're very proud of what used to be an ancient chapel, and now they've turned into a place of worship for foodies. Paul Newman, Hillary Clinton, Sophia Loren, they've all popped in for a bite over the years. The recipes and menu here remains mostly true to the original nonna, Melinda, Fabio and Vincenzo's grandmother. 
She was the one who decided what patrons would get fed. The place opened in 1834, and it was also one of the first businesses to join Eduardo's movement. The venue today serves up ethics, civic engagement, and some ridiculously good Sicilian street food, especially if you fancy your meal with a side serving of morals. This is Fabio. In Sicily, in Palermo, as you know, we have uh, that uh, organization called the Mafia. That mafia that has had a form of respect to our company and our family. How can I say? Probably for the history that Focacceria has always represented for having given work to so many poor and simple people during its existence. I think Fabio is alluding to the fact that Antica Focaccia's location in the center of the most mafia-heavy neighborhood in Palermo actually protected his business. This was uh, the situation until 2005, in which uh, some balance uh, in the world of the Palermo mafia changed. As we was, uh, we were a, a very old uh, place in Palermo. I think uh, mafia had uh, a form, uh, like a form of respect uh, to our family and to our place, to our focacceria. There was some bad people uh, who was coming to us, uh, but they never asked us money. His point about the Mafia showing mercy to their family business because they help poor people earn a clean living seems more than a bit ironic. I mean, morality and the Mafia codes? It's just a constant riddle of contradiction. He told me about the time a member of the Mafia stopped by to demand back payment of protection money. Years of back payment. Didn't take us long to realize that we had the representative of the Palermo Centro Mafia in front of us. And after a few jokes, he explicitly told us that we would have to pay 50,000 euros for the past periods, imagine, and another 1,500 euros a month from then. Uh, to be paid to a person they indicated we should have hired. How can I say? A, a, a clear message of uh, wanting to directly control our company. Fabio and his brother Vincenzo said a firm no, and then they called the cops. After several months of investigation, four people, including their unwanted visitor, were arrested. And in 2007, they were sentenced to trial and convicted for intimidation. The Adio Pizzo movement and the solidarity behind it reinforced the brothers' decision to keep turning down the mafia for good. They haven't heard anything from them since. Side note, Antica Focaccia do a mean pasta con lasarde. Onions, fennel, pine nuts, sardines, raisins that are steeped in warm wine anchovies, a pinch of saffron. It doesn't sound possible that these ingredients would make it into a pasta dish, but really, you'll want to kiss the chef. Another local favourite on Fabio's menu is the aforementioned panica mesa, the spleen and beef lung sandwich. This dates back to the time of Jewish rule, 
and the sandwich includes boiled cow spleen and lung. And bear with me, they're fried in pig lard, sprinkled with fresh ricotta and cacio cavallo cheeses, local to the island, and then served on a sesame seed bun. Yeah, vegans, I'm sorry. I would eat that spleen lung sandwich. Yeah, for sure. Mm. I mean, it's the thing. You've got to, you know, it's one of the top things to try there. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to get stuck in, put your plant-based values to one side for a minute. <laughs> just for a just moment. do it. Just let it happen. <laughs> some lung. Yeah. <laughs> Fried in port lard as well. So, you know, there's no sort of halfway house with no, this sandwich. No, nothing that can, no. you, know, you get no pass. No. I'm more concerned about it, spleen, to be honest. Yeah, the spleen is suspect. Right. It's not like the appendix where people don't really know what it does. No, it? no, we know what the spleen. <laughs> the spleen has a purpose. <laughs> the spleen has a purpose for going in sandwiches. Yeah, with ricotta. <laughs> ah, we're gonna drive ourselves crazy in here. <laughs> been uh, documenting the phenomenon of women who were taking position, very clear position, uh, public position against mafia. Melania Messina is a photojournalist and social activist. Her photos and contribution to social justice projects have won her loads of awards. She's been documenting the mafia's impact on culture and society since the 90s. And like so many others, she's also got a few stories about women standing up to the mob. Most of them, they were uh, relatives of uh, mafia victims. This was a, a kind of new phenomenon. Case in point, Michaela Buscemi, a poor Sicilian woman from a huge, big family of siblings. Her brothers, one by one, were disappeared. So she took care of, a, of, a, of a her younger brothers and two of them that were killed by mafia. The first one was killed in the torture room, which is called Santerasmo. She received uh, many threats. So somehow, she, at a certain point, she decided not to witness again. But she received the support of um, a new association of women, which is, was, was called Women Against Mafia. This association was founded by the wives of judges who were killed in the past. I'd once thought that the Mafia Code of Silence, the Omerta, was an honour code strictly reserved for the Mafia themselves. But somehow it seems the code is felt and adopted by whole families and communities, normal people being slowly and carefully conditioned into silence. But fortunately, there's a growing number who don't. Melania's photography led me to the story of the Napoli sisters, three unmarried women who'd had 90 hectares of farmland stormed by 80 cows and horses. Two poisoned dogs and a bunch of carcasses were delivered to their cottage shortly after, just in case they didn't get the hint. The intimidation and these calculated invasions continued for 14 years. They went to television many times, so they became very popular. And now most of the people living in the village, they refuse to talk to, talk to them. They kind of, uh, they're very isolated. Cattle mafia, intimidating the farmers and the stewards of the land. It all goes back to the Gabalotti, our rural entrepreneurs. 
It also proves that the Mafia go for the outliers, the weak ones. How can the Mafia still take root, even as movements like Adio Pizzo continue to gather pace? It's a mixture of shame. They are scared to, to, to let their voice heard by, by more people. And this is my perception. Also the fact that there are women, people didn't like that women became so much protagonist mm. against something which was uh, somehow cultural, rooted in the land. And that's where Liberatera come in. Liberatera means free land in Italian. Together with Eduardo's crew at Adio Pizzo, both companies are giving Sicily's economy a mafia-free makeover, the kind of gastronomy and conscious tourism that refuses to line the pockets of the mafia. Thanks to a landmark law passed back in 1996, farmers, cooperatives, people of the land are now free to reclaim these spaces and make beautiful new vineyards, olive groves and boutique foodie experiences for tourists living on the land once stolen by mafia. The law was passed because of a petition, a petition signed by one million Sicilians who wanted to create a new history for the island, starting in the soil. It's been voted one of the top 100 NGOs on the planet. Consider that, uh, first of all, uh, Liberaterra cooperatives are farm cooperatives. So we are farmers, and uh, as farmers, we are custodians of the natural and the cultural heritage. Valeria works for Liberatera. She's proud of her role to play in reigniting the traditions and provenance of this incredible island. And it really shows. So the commitment is to safeguard that what we are for the future generations, first of all. So the, we work as to express uh, through our products the know-how, the flavors of our lands, which are public lands, as we say, belonging to all of us. Visitors can stay on farms that were once under the control of La Cosa Nostra. Guests can learn how to make wines and bask in citrus-scented groves that take on a new kind of magic when you understand what's gone on here. They can also learn about the revival of specific ancient grains of which Sicily has more than 60. The Mafia tried to wipe them all out with cheap, fast monoculture, but Liberatera is bringing them back. We can go ahead with a cultural change. This is not something extraordinary, but you can work in a respectful way and it will be recognised in the long term, giving a respectable and fair answer because it's more, this kind of answer is more strong than illegality. The romanticised wise guys of Scorsese's movies and, of course, Coppola's masterpiece, The Godfather, partly filmed in Corleone over the crest of a hill from the Napoli sisters' farm, suddenly didn't feel so slick. They felt misleadingly cool and kind of false. It's becoming easier to see why local mafia tours that cash in on the stereotypes rub activists like Eduardo and Melania up the wrong way. But resistance to mafia and the rise of the anti-mafia movement isn't going away. It's getting stronger. Liberatera and 800 other social enterprises on the island are making sure that authentic travel experiences, civic consciousness and mafia-free gastronomy are all thriving. It's a big thumbs up for social change. 
But what's next? Jean-Rim Belongo works in inclusivity, lawfulness and migration at the Placido Risotto Observatory in Rome. It's the largest European-level union, and he specialises in exploitation, in agriculture, and also has a fair bit to say about how the mafia continue to infiltrate it. Mafia is really involved into into the agri-food, agri-food network because, first of all, uh, agri-food drags a lot of money from Europe, you know. Uh, the common agricultural policy is the largest uh, uh, budget attribution at the European communitarian level. So this is where Mafia are today, peeling off money from a pretty big pot of agricultural EU subsidies. He's been supporting Liberatera in their anti-mafia movements and the regeneration of the land for years. I want to know from a man on the front lines of policy, what will it take to build a mafia-free Sicily? Democracy, information, education, and the welfare of people. These are the four things from my standpoint that we should invest on. Because where people are, exposed, where people are exposed to misery, to poverty. Mafia can penetrate them anytime. But if they know there's an alternative, there's social welfare network, if they are properly informed, if they are educated, you know, the worst enemy of mafia is education. That's the worst enemy. Because education sets sets all of us free from ignorance. Now, We become independent citizens with a conscience. It's crazy how much, how much it's, it's infected the you know whole industries yeah because i had yeah, this yeah. thought at the beginning where you know we would just be it would be two kind of stereotypical mob dudes yeah you know asking for money in a pizzeria but it's it's the whole farming industry and restaurants and government and sure it's crazy seems like they've had to really like fight big yep go straight to the top yeah it's so good fighting the mafia in a very kind of business minded way yeah super tactical very tactical it's very smart and it hits the mafia where it hurts yeah because that's the thing you know they've always had a hand in the illegal uh businesses as much as the legal ones you know they cover all bases literally you know even the anti-mafia movement the adio pizzo they've been approached they've had mafia try and infiltrate anti-mafia to work within the system of that it didn't work, though. That's the good news. That's the good news. I mean, th- that's the other thing is since the mafia has been there for so long and it, generation on, upon generation has had to deal with it, there's almost like a built-in um, mentality of how to deal with it on a day-to-day basis or what to do. Like, yeah, like the ultimate saying. chess game. You know, Absolutely. you're always thinking. You know they're going to be coming. Yeah. Yeah. They're already doing those kind of things. It's the the Escobar approach. It's like keep keep the ones really close to the poverty line, seeing the good side, so that they'll be more you know 
hush, keep, keep quiet, yeah. That's the other thing is like how far away from the, the movie mafia can you get with this stuff? You know, monoculture, cut olive oil. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. It's um, just ugly. Yeah, it's just like, so how can you cut olive oil in Sicily? That's I what mean. I mean. As an Italian. <laughs> that's criminal. As an Italian. How can you live with yourself? Yeah. All the hits and everything, that's not that bad. But yeah, right. forget the murders. The exactly. Extra oh. virgin. I mean, that's despicable. <laughs> the, the murder is to be expected, but yeah, selling extra virgin olive oil that's been cut. That's, yeah, the lowest of the low. It's weird as well that they did kind of, they've been world famous for something that was exported all over the world, which was, had nothing to do with any of the good sides yeah. of the place. It was just like... The yeah. worst. Sicilian, the Sicilian mafia, yeah. known the world over. The other thing that's excellent that comes out is how you face that, how you deal with that, the creativity behind that, and and like you say, the resilience that it's they're not going to get knocked down. Mm. They're going to keep trying. It's going to yeah. keep coming back. Yeah. But they're going to figure out a different way to overcome. <laughs> It's true that it's amazing how many people are on board, you know, in the community of Palermo, people go to a shop and they will look specifically for the Adio Pizza stickers on all the products. You know, it's like it's on board. It's not just the, the wealthy, privileged few, like, you know, you have people with their exclusively organic. People will really go and, and buy this stuff because they know that they want the groundswell, you know. Yeah. So it's super cool. Fighting the mob with good food. This week, our saved pins will not only satisfy your appetite, but also your morals. These five foodie gems are socially aware, no pizza eats in beautiful Palermo. Number one, Antica Focacheria San Francesco. Our first saved pin is the historic chapel-turned-restaurant that features in the show. Frequented by movie stars, politicians, and locals who remain loyal to the original recipes, this is the place to come for authentic Sicilian street food. We dare you to be brave and order the famed Pani Chameusa beef, spleen, and lung sandwich and pastele sarde, pasta with sardines and fennel. This is mafia-free dining at its best. Number two, La Baracharia. Head to this family-run, award-winning pizza joint in the heart of Palermo for what's considered the best pie on the island. The brothers who run it recall a time when two mafiosi entered the venue and instead of asking for pizza, they asked for pizza. As the story goes, both extortionists were arrested as they finished their last slice. Number three, Biso Bistro. Before starting Biso Bistro, Dario Biso and his family ran a different restaurant in a different area of Palermo. They had various troubles before the restaurant was damaged in a very suspicious fire. Dario and his family decided to set up their second culinary offering inside a beautiful historic bookshop, Librera Dante. Today, Biso Bistro draws crowds seeking delicious local flavors and atmosphere. And it delivers big on both. Number four, Cotti in Faraganza. This is no ordinary bakery. Founded in 2016 by the social cooperative Regenerazioni Onlus. This venue makes high-quality products inside the Malaspina Juvenile Detention Camp of Palermo, Sicily. Regenerazioni deals with education and ethics within the Sicilian community. Number five, Cento Passi. 
Translated as 100 Steps in Italian, this is a thriving social cooperative division that manages some 65 hectares of reclaimed vineyards in the upper Corleonese region in Sicily, of Godfather fame. These lands were once dominated by mafia clans, but today produce some of the island's most exquisite biological wines. That's it for this week, guys. Thanks for listening. You can find us at Passport Podcast on Instagram and online at FrequencyMachine.com forward slash Passport, where you can get our awesome newsletter, The Ticket. Next week, we're off to Greenland, a wild and unforgiving place to hunt for ghosts and monsters. <laughs> we'll see you on Tuesday. This week's episode of Passport was written and produced by Jennifer Carr and edited by Harry Stott and me, Neil Innes. Huge thanks to Eduardo Zafuto, Jean-Ren Bilongo, Melania Messina, Giovanni Brusetta, and Valeria Perzia for helping us make the show. We'll have all the details in the show notes if you want to check them out. Our theme music is by Nick Turner with additional stuff by Music Box, Crystal Cavins, Finn the Human, Felipe Saro, and Hint of Mint. The show is mixed and mastered by Julian Kwasniewski. Eliza Engel is our production assistant. Stacy Book, Dominic Ferrari, and Avi Glijanski are constantly making us offers we can't refuse. They also executive produce the show, which is hosted by myself and a man who refuses to sit in the window seat, Andres Bartos. We'll see you in the next place. <laughs>